Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. Hey. Okay. Morning, family. Good to be uh, with you. And if you could just uh, grab a seat, and if you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the back that you can grab, and uh, just good to worship with you today. Um, before I get into the sermon today, I wanted to ask if you are a, uh, if you are going to be a group leader, co-leader, can you just come on up here real quick for me? Uh, if you're going to be leading our groups this year, you can stand up, make your way up here. This is where you're not shy, and uh, you can give them a hand. You can thank them for serving. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know how many we, oh, we got a lot in this service, okay, fantastic. So um, just come on up here. I want you guys, number one, to see, uh, we got some in the next service, I assuming as well, that'll, that'll be uh, coming up, but just uh, those who will be loving and leading groups this year, uh, they're going to be a necessary aspect and component to what we do, and uh, we're just grateful that we can have scattered communities amidst the larger community of faith uh, to build us up in towards towards the maturity that is found in Jesus Christ. So I uh, wanted you just to see them. Uh, you're going to forget who they are, I'm sure, as soon as they walk away. But I uh, just wanted to take a minute to pray for them and thank God for them, that God would empower them and strengthen them. Most of you probably think being a group leader, uh, you just kind of show up, open your house up, serve crumpets and uh, tea and just kind of chat about whatever is to be chatted about. It's actually much more intense and rigorous than that. They put a lot of time and energy into planning, preparing, studying, and uh, making that time uh, of value to you and of glory to Jesus, okay? And so uh, why don't you join me? We just want to pray for these brothers and sisters that God would bless them, encourage them, empower them this year uh, as we head into group season. Amen? Good? Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for these men and women that love you and that love to lead and love others. Um, we pray, God, that you would use their time and investment uh, towards making disciples uh, in ways that would bear fruit that lasts. We pray, Jesus, that you would uh, protect them from sin, from the enemy, from temptation, from uh, ways by which... Um, the world would love to uh, cloud their thinking or um, lure them away from uh, the beauty that is the calling upon every Christian's life to love and lead others. We pray uh, that those in their groups uh, would be drawn to Jesus Christ. We pray that you give them great love for all who would come and attend. We pray that you give them great joy in Jesus that would be contagious. Uh, and just really overflow into others. We pray that as groups meet this year, uh, that you would use them for your glory, our joy, and the mission of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, and we thank you so much that you use us. Thank you for the privilege it is to be your children and to be your servants. Uh, and I pray that we would never lose sight of that gift and call upon our life in Christ. Um, thank you for this morning, and thank you that we are not just individuals saved, but a family who is saved into Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much, and looking forward to how you guys lead and love this year. Amen. Um, good. Well, uh, just one announcement before we roll into the text. Baptism class is going to be uh, uh, May, uh, May, March 5th. Well, I'm like already in 
headed after Easter. Um, March 15th, and that's going to help kind of help you guys understand what baptism is, what it means here. Baptism uh, celebration Sunday is June 7th, one of my favorite Sundays of the year where people will publicly uh, show visibly a demonstration of the gospel through their allegiance to Jesus and obedience to Jesus in baptism. So uh, if you love Jesus, have turned from sin and turned to Christ, and you have never been baptized, uh, I encourage you to at least attend that class so you can learn more about what it means and be informed in your head and your heart and move towards that time on June 7th. And um, speaking of baptism, what I'm going to do is we're actually going to start 2 Peter next Sunday. Excited to roll into that next book with you guys, which will take us all the way to Baptism Sunday, uh, June 7th. What I want to do today is I actually just want to talk to you about baptism. Now, some of you guys are like, oh man, he's going to talk to me about baptism. Baptism is actually very exciting. It's actually uh, one of the first acts of obedience Jesus calls us to, and so it's actually really important we understand what baptism is, why we practice it, what it means, what it declares, what it shows, so that not only can we walk in faith together, but also on June 7th as you witness baptisms and see baptisms, you can understand what you're seeing. So I want to try as best I can to inform your head and heart in a way that's going to be helpful and also prepare you for what you'll witness. And maybe some of you who've not yet been baptized, you'll realize um, the urgency of this call on your life as a disciple. So um, here's what's going to happen is on June 7th, there's going to be men and women who are going to be baptized. And what's going to happen is we're going to sing and celebrate because they're going to be demonstrating, I not only listen to Jesus, I follow Jesus, and my allegiance is to Jesus. That means um, that I want to be a visible display, visible proclamation that uh, in Jesus' death, my sin died too, and in Jesus' resurrection, I was raised to new life too. And his life is my life, my life is, my identity is swallowed up in Jesus Christ. It's what you're going to see, and that's what baptism speaks to. Now, um, before we hit Second Peter, and, and just to take us up, I just want to, I want to set us up um, for, for today, and uh, this is why. One thing we need to understand as Christians, as followers of Jesus is, we're not just called to imitation, right? We're not just called to imitate Jesus or just look like Jesus. We, we are, but we're actually also called to experience the presence of Christ. Now, um, theologians are going to call this union with Christ. It means that, that his actual presence indwells the new believer, the, the person in Christ at conversion has, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us. But, but we don't just spectate at Jesus, we experience him. We experience him. And so baptism actually is something that, that shows visibly this aspect of the gospel of union with Christ that we actually experience Jesus. We don't just imitate Jesus. We have been made new. His celebration is that we are his. It's a a gift that Jesus gave to the church to portray, to show, to depict um, that, and and he chose baptism to do it. And so um, here's just the the three things I want to look at today very simply is um, why baptism, what it is, and what it is not. I want to make sure you know all those things. Why baptize? What is it? What is it not? So first, why baptism? Um, Very simply, Jesus led by example. Um, Jesus was the one who paved the way. Um, We see also that Jesus commanded that we be baptized. That's the reason that we believe it is important and and necessary for the Christian, not for saving faith, but in acts of obedience and following after Jesus. And the New Testament Christians, you'll see throughout the New Testament, they all practiced um, baptism. Now, um, I realize in this room, we, we, we may 
maybe have some different places we land because uh, we've had some nice, spicy, robust, fruitful, helpful dialogues and baptisms. So um, I'm excited for those of you that disagree with our mode that, that God would show you the way that is right and that he would lead you towards the way of repentance, okay? Uh, we love that you're here. You're just wrong, but we love you, okay? So, so, so we're going to have fun today just walking through this and enjoying this. So um, first, why? Jesus modeled it. Jesus um, showed by example. So, so here's what you get in the scriptures if you, if you look at them is Jesus did it as our example. If you read the gospel accounts. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they walk you through Jesus coming, but before Jesus comes, this guy named John the baptizer comes, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm paving the way for this Messiah, this Jesus who is God and will come, will die for sin, will forgive sin. He proclaims a baptism for the repentance of sins. So he's basically showing what's going to come. Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, John, baptize me, and John's like, why would I do that? You're sinless. You're God. Doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, I have to do it to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus meant was that he did it to show that repentance could be possible. He didn't do it because he needed to be baptized or because he had sin. He did it to pave the way and lead by our example. He wanted to be a foreshadowing of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's, that's why he did it. Okay, and then he's saying, hey, this is also to show that repentance can be possible. That's why he was baptized. Now, this is why we have to understand fundamentally, friends, that baptism is about Jesus. That's all it is. Baptism is about his death, his burial, his resurrection. If you don't get anything else at the end of the day, that's what baptism ultimately is. Um, People are not baptized for God to like them or God to save them. It's about obedience and it's about identifying with Jesus. So it's about seeing Jesus and having a picture of Jesus. Jesus teaches this to his disciples in Matthew 28 when he gives his great edict. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is why in baptisms we baptize in the name of the triune God. This is how Jesus asked us to do this. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. It shows what he did, but he's one God in three distinct persons. Um, and so here you see this amazing call of Jesus that we're called that people are to be baptized and make disciples. So this means they're not just baptized, but then they grow as Christians, right? This is why we believe that, that you don't have to wait to see lengthy, lengthy, lengthy fruit in someone, that we believe the call of Christ, when you believe in Christ and believe what he did and don't want to follow sin and want to follow Jesus is, okay, I want to be baptized, and then you continue to grow as a disciple, right? So baptism doesn't make you a disciple. Baptism is that obedience, and then we continue to walk as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ growing in grace. Um, I find it really fascinating and a bit crazy and a bit odd that I talk to so many people who will say when they meet Jesus and realize, all the benefits of the gospel, they'll say, oh my goodness, I, I, I love Jesus, he forgives my sin, I, I wanna follow Jesus, trust Jesus, do whatever he says, and the, the first thing out of his lips is, okay, be baptized, I'm like, I'm not feeling it yet. What do you mean you're not feeling it yet? I mean, you just said, 
I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do whatever Jesus tells me. And then he goes, okay, cool. Be baptized. Nah, I'm just not feeling it. Well, well, obedience would say you repent of not feeling it and you get baptized to be his witness, right? I mean, that, that's, that's very simple. So, so and, I, and I get it, man. We're all waiting for that, that place where we're near like Noah's Ark. We're in the Jordan River in Israel and all families there, all extended family, all 50 cousins, and they're all able to watch and celebrate your precious moment. I get it. Don't want to take away from that, but I also want to say Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, do you love me? Get baptized. You want to follow me? Get baptized publicly, right? Proclaim that. Show your allegiance publicly. Portray a visible gospel to those who would see and know and believe that you've done this and trusted in this witness. So let me just encourage you. If you are a Christian, if you are turning from sin, if you are turning to Christ and haven't been baptized, why is there disobedience in your heart? It's a very basic question. Um, what is keeping you from that? If that's how you're living, your obedience glorifies God, it brings you joy, and it's a witness to others. Amen? Uh, so Jesus modeled it. He was our example. He commanded it. The New Testament practiced it. I could give you 700 verses. I'm just going to give you a couple to see. This was the common practice of the New Testament church, Acts 8:12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You have Acts 18:8. It's supposed to be Crispus, but crisps, man, that sounds awesome. Uh, the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. You have the Apostle Paul, who wrote 90% of the New Testament, or 70% of the New Testament letters, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and as he regained his sight, he rose and he was baptized. This is the Apostle Paul. You have this amazing text in Acts chapter 8, and this is one of my favorites because it just rails against the notion of I'm not feeling it. Um, and the eunuch says to Philip, this is after he explains in the Old Testament, shows how the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who is the gospel. He'd opened up Isaiah and explained in the scriptures. Look at his response. Um, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. I love it. Wow, Jesus forgives me of sin. Wow, repentance and faith leads me to Christ. Wow, that's salvation. Hey, where's the nearest lake? I mean, he just looks for water. I want to be baptized. I want to follow in obedience. It was the natural progression and pattern of the New Testament church. So that's why baptism. I don't think I need to share anything else as to why. I think that lays it out very simply. So the next question is, um, what is it? What is baptism then? And this is an important question to clarify and understand. I think Romans 6 gives us the clearest, most helpful kind of picture of what baptism is. Now, uh, maybe some of you are new to this, but there is this amazing reality in the scriptures that teach that we are made new in Jesus Christ. 
It's this amazing idea, it's this amazing truth that the old is gone, the new is come. We were dead in sin, we're alive in Christ. We were forgotten of God, we were loved by God and accepted of God, known by God. We were orphans, now we're his children. We were strangers, now we're his friends. We were his enemy, right? Now we're his closest kin. It's this, it's this amazing, amazing truth in the scriptures. We're brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so um, here, Romans 6 kind of lays this out. And Paul says this, do you you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been buried with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Um, he says so much in that passage of scripture, but, but I want you to look at just three aspects. Um, first, he says, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. This means if you're a believer in Jesus, in his death, your sin died too. Right? That, that's what it means. When, when he died and he knew he was going to save you and he had you on his mind and he knew he would call you and he knew he would choose you and he knew he would call you and woo you and draw you to himself. He knew he would lead people to preach the gospel to you and he, he would use the prayers of other faithful saints and brothers and sisters and family so that at one day you would see him as good, see him as saving, see him as glorious and loving and merciful. That day happened for you. That's when you realize that all of your sin, past, present, and future, fully died in his death. And he says, baptism shows that. Baptism actually is a visible display of that element of the gospel. It's, it's amazing, right? Um, baptism is all about Jesus and showing our faith in his gospel through baptism. This is why I keep saying it makes no sense apart from Jesus, because according to Paul, it makes no sense apart from Jesus. Otherwise, you're just giving people a bath. You're just getting them wet. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Why do it? Um, so the death we deserved is the death Jesus endured, and this is what Paul is showing us happens. Baptism shows Jesus died. He was buried, and in his burial, we were buried too. And then he says this next. He says, in order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love this. So it's not just his burial, it's his resurrection, right? It's not just our sins died when Jesus died with him. It's when he was raised, our new life was raised as well, right? We believe in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We're not just loving that our sin died. We're loving that we're given a new nature. And he's saying baptism shows that too. Baptism shows you that you walk in newness of life now. Baptism declares that in his resurrection, you were resurrected too. Jesus is my Lord. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. He rose again. And my complete faith and trust is in that. That's what baptism shows. When you witness someone going under the water and coming back out, that's what you're looking at. That's what you're supposed to be thinking about. This, this amazing visible gospel display. And, and then he goes on and says this. He says, our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
I love this. So not only are you a picture in baptism, a visible display of this gospel that in his death my sin died too, in his resurrection my life was raised too, you're also a visible, visible proof of I can put my sin to death now. Like, like I can actually now put sin to death. I don't have to be enslaved to sin. I can actually live a holy life. I can actually live a life of obedience to God because of him dying for me and him rising for me. And he shows this in the text. He, he says because Jesus died for our sin, we can put sin to death. Now, um, if you're new to Christianity, we talk about sin. We're not just simply talking about bad habits and flaws and failures. We are talking about a disposition of the heart that is in opposition to God. God. We believe that we are better gods than him. We love his created stuff more than him. We have committed cosmic treason. We have committed uh, just the, the highest degree of thievery against the king of the universe. And so he says something has to be done for this. And what happens is, is when we sin before Christ, we love to tolerate it. We love to manage it. We love to blame others for it because we love turning to those false gods for comfort and joy and purpose and satisfaction. And then Jesus comes, the true God, and he lives a perfect life without sin. He dies our death. He rises for our life. And then he allows us to turn from false gods to the true God. That's what he does. So we can now do that because we're in Christ. We can do that because we have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the other piece he's showing in here is woven into all of this is this public picture of your identity being fully swallowed up in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. It's brought to nothing. Um, you know, we've been hardwired to search after an identity for ourselves Right? That's it's just who we are, right? So some of you are just naturally trying to search for it and find it in your appearance, in your work, in, in how good of a parent you are. Um, but, but what's crazy about all those things is all those things can be taken from you. And, and let me tell you this. There's nothing more frightening than not knowing who you are, right? I mean, we all know that. Not knowing who we are is terrifying. Um, but what's amazing is God knows this, and he has woven that into who we are as his creation. We, we need to serve and love him. We need to find our identity and, and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction and, and worship in him. And he knows when we do that, right, we'll feel safe. It's only time you'll feel safe. It's only time you'll know that nothing can take that from you, right? So being a pastor is a really funny thing. So amidst all the temptations for identity theft or, or people loving or people's opinions or, you know, the only thing that, that helps me at the end of the day is me constantly reminding myself of where do I more fully need to push into the grace, adoption, mercy, forgiveness of God and Christ so I remember that that solely is who I am, right? At the end of the day, that's who Mike Reed is. I'm either Christ or I'm not. And if I am Christ, then I'm okay, Right? Because that can never be taken from me. That can never be stolen from me. And so he's showing all these things in this amazing, amazing picture. So what baptism is not? Um, baptism is not a lot of things, but just two main things. It's not salvation, and it's not the cleansing of sins. Um, a lot of, a lot of um, belief systems teach that baptism is this. We see explicitly and clearly in the scripture that baptism is not salvation and is not the cleansings, cleansing of sins. Um, only one makes cleansing for sin, that man is Jesus Christ. Only one is the way to salvation, that man is Jesus Christ. 
Pastors do not save. Churches do not save. Communion does not save. Baptism does not save. Your systematic theology does not save. Um, your family lineage does not save. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus is the only one who can give you assurance. Did you know, friends, there's no assurance beyond Jesus? The only assurance any man or woman has is when they realize they have sin and they have to give it to Jesus who had no sin. That's your only assurance. Your assurance can't be anything else. If your assurance isn't anything else, you're going to constantly not have assurance. All right? And so this is what we explicitly see. You see verse after verse say this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your belief, your faith, your confession is not in you. It's in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange in the gospel. He takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Romans 4.5, I think this is better than John 3.16, to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Man, when I first stumbled across Romans 4.5, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that's the verse that should be in the end zones. I mean, that just sums up the Christian faith. Justification, imputation, everything. Propitiation, Romans 4, 5. You're not, you're not relying on your works. You're trusting the one who justifies all the ungodly, and your faith is counted, it's credited, it's given you as righteousness. That's insane. You're not doing anything. You're simply believing in something. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't even boast in your faith of believing. God gave it to you. Right? So you can't, you can't boast in anything. He, he strips from you all ability to stand before the day of judgment and say, I did anything. So God gets full glory, Jesus gets full praise, and we get full joy because we are fully saved based upon not an ounce of anything we could have possibly added to the cross of Jesus Christ that would nullify its work, right? So, so here is why, and I'm going to get into, this is fun now, into more of these things. So we understand, right, that, that grace is from Jesus, faith is from Jesus, Salvation's from Jesus. Um, I don't want you to stare at that. Stop. Um, I can see you're not even listening. You're like, pay no baptism. Um, Paul, we went through Galatians together as a church, right? That's when, when Paul calls out the church in Galatia because they were believing and adding things to Jesus. Circumcision plus Jesus. Works plus Jesus. What your family background was like plus Jesus. They were doing all those things. Um, so you don't need Jesus and baptism. You need Jesus. Hear that, please. Um, but then if you love Jesus and see your need for Jesus, be baptized. But you don't need Jesus and baptism. You don't need Jesus and speaking in tongues. You don't need Jesus and your um, methods of theology. You need Jesus. Just start with Jesus. Get Jesus was righteous and you're unrighteous. Get that Jesus was sinless and you're sinful. Get that Jesus absorbed wrath when you were deserving of wrath. Get that Jesus took eternal torment in the cross when you were deserving of eternal torment in hell. Like, start to understand that, and then we move on to the other practical theologies. Um, Good Friday, right? Jesus was on the cross, and he had two sinners, and one believed, one didn't. One was saved, one was not. One went to paradise, one did not. 
He didn't have time to get in the dunk tank, but he believed, and that was sufficient. And that was sufficient. So, so this is why we, we perform, when you, when you come to baptism services and you hear about baptism here, um, we perform it by immersion. There are three main reasons why we perform it by immersion. That means you go underwater and come back out. Um, Jesus was immersed. Um, we believe that we see all New Testament Christian baptisms by immersion. And thirdly, and finally, but not fully, um, you have that the word means to immerse or dunk. So when ships would sink, they'd say it got baptized, right? Um, and I want you to know, we have faithful, God-loving, Holy Spirit-filled brothers and sisters that, that disagree on our mode of baptism, but we all agree on the meaning of the word. We all agree on that, that it means to be immersed, it means to be dunked, it means to go under. And we saw Jesus come up out of the water. We saw the unit go down under the water. John the baptizer repeatedly baptized new Christians with a full immersion. This was even a practice of the Jews when a Gentile converted to Judaism. This is normal. Now, um, traditionally, and I want to talk about this real quick because it is important, so, so stay with me. There are two kind of predominant views, basic views of baptism. Um, there's paedo-baptism, which is infant, comes from the Latin word pedo, right? So that, that's first, um, maybe you came from a Presbyterian background, a Lutheran background, a Anglican background, a Methodist background. This is common to you, right? Sprinkled, not dunked, infant, not believer, not baptism post-profession of faith. Um, and I want to say again that there are godly, Holy Spirit-filled men and women in this place that, that hold to this view, right, who we're going to rise from death with, be in the presence of Jesus with, you are wrong, but we love you, okay? So, so you're here, love you, you're just wrong. So we are not quarrelsome, we are not more holy, we are not better. We just don't see in the scriptures any clear pathway to this to where we would change our position, okay? We, we just, that's just where we're at. We, we just see that. Um, further, you will not see a single infant baptized in your Bible. You will not read one verse. You can insinuate and you can assume, but you will not see a single verse say that. Um, there are places all over where it says the household was baptized. So people say, must have been babies. It doesn't say that. You're assuming that, but it doesn't say that. Um, we assume that those are people who were believers, those who professed faith in Jesus Christ. There are places um, throughout that, that show this. Now, the other um, position, which is what, where we land, the one that we hold, is called credo-baptism. Credo just means I believe, means profession, means that Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord. I understand that. I want to follow him. I want to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Um, it's for those who possess faith in Jesus Christ. So you have paedo-baptism, baptism of infants, you have credo-baptism, baptism of believers, which occurs after profession of faith, not sprinkled but dumped, immersed. Cool? Okay, good. All you are so thrilled about this theology. So listen, in short, here, you know, let me just address this too. In short, here's, here's where I, th I think um, with infant baptism, this is where our brothers and sisters kind of get this argument. And in short, I try to make it really succinct, is um, they see continuity from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. They see continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So what you'll see if you read is there's circumcision, which is the, the sign and seal of God in the Old Testament, right, um, for the people of God. And it's replaced with baptism when you get to the New Covenant in the New Testament. So each family has 
parents, they love God, they love their children, so they would say they're born into a covenantal family. They're born into a family by which loves this same God, that you would see this in the Old Testament. You'd see covenantal families. That's why they'd circumcise their children, right? To show that they are a sign and seal of this God who loves them, okay? And they would say baptism now replaces circumcision, and so that's why we would do the same thing in the new covenant. Um, But here's the big deal. There's a massive difference between your physical birth and your spiritual rebirth, There is a very, very big difference. The Old Testament, I would argue, speaks more towards your physical birth, and if you read the New Testament, it speaks to your spiritual rebirth. And because those two things are so different, like you have an earthly father that is physical birth, but then we have a heavenly father who gives our spiritual rebirth. The Old Testament seems to speak much more to the physical birth, and the New Testament seems to speak much more to the spiritual rebirth. So here, here's a great verse that, that for me really kind of had me stay where I am, and it's in Romans chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. He's talking about the first guy in the history of mankind who was circumcised, Abraham, and he says this about him. He, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So Abraham in this text had faith and it was credited him righteousness before his circumcision. Before. Well, I think that's huge. I think that's very important because Paul says that Abraham is a pattern for all who would believe. There's a pattern following Abraham. And so um, Paul says it was a sign. In other words, it pointed back to faith in God. It it was his promise. Understand, circumcision was never designed to save you. It was was basically like wearing a team jersey. I'm on team Jesus, right? Like it just just identified you. It didn't save you. It wasn't an act you participated in to try and actually become God's child. Right? It was a sign. So he affirms that it was a sign. So My argument would be with infants, they can't point back to faith in God yet. As he says here in this text, they don't have the capability to do that. They're not in a place in their walk with Jesus where they can actually do what infant Baptists would say majorly they are doing. And here you see the sign came after faith, not before. Which is why we would say Abraham was saved before he was circumcised. And you see the same pattern then in the New Testament. You see repentance and faith and baptism. So repentance and faith always precedes baptism. Just like faith in God with Abraham preceded his circumcision and he was a pattern for all who would believe in God and find salvation through Jesus Christ. So this is why I would again say to you, if you say, I know who Jesus is, I believe in what Jesus has done, I desire to turn from sin, I desire to turn to Jesus Christ, then let's go and get baptized to identify with him in that act that you now receive, that you now desire, that you now see as beautiful and good and saving, and now live as a witness that your identity has been swallowed up in Jesus Christ, and you're a walking, visible display of God's glory as his image bearer. Right? That's, that's why in Acts 2.38, the disciples come and teach the same thing after Matthew 28. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Turn from sin. 
turn to Jesus and get baptized. They're saying nothing different. Now, I just want to close with a text. Um, oh, I had that. I just want to close with a text from Colossians 2. I love this because I think Paul just kind of ties this all together. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church in chapter 2. He says this, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we just talked a little bit about this. Historically, God marked his people with circumcision, which was an external marking of belonging to God. But in the end, God comes along and says, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, it's not just an external marking anymore, there's internal transformation. That's what I've done with you. That's what I've done in you. That was the whole point. The whole point was not that you would have just this external reality of imitation but experience of union with Christ. This, this ties up my point earlier in that baptism shows more than just I'm following Jesus. It shows that you're his and it shows that you actually have an identity that's his and it shows that all that you are is gone and all that he is is yours. That's what it shows. That's what baptism portrays. And he, he shows here, I love that he takes circumcision and relates it to baptism in the ways that we understand, not in a replacement, but in a continuation of faith in Christ. Still being the way by which we're saved, then baptism comes, and that demonstrates and shows visibly the faith that we had in God and the righteousness that we received in Christ. So God says to me, Mike Reed, I've forgiven you, I've cleansed you, I've saved you, I've adopted you, I've chosen you, I've freed you, I've shown grace to you, I've shown mercy to you, and not because of your righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I will continue to say this statement here in Colossians 2.11 until God takes me home or my time up from being your pastor is done here, in the end, this is all you have. Mike Reed dies with Jesus Christ. That's all you have. That's who I am. Mike Reed rises with Jesus Christ. Mike Reed dies with him. Mike Reed rises with him. That, that's not pastor, not dad, not parent, not lacrosse player, not whatever. It's Mike Reed is in Jesus Christ. And baptism reminds us, friends, as we witness it, that that's true for us. It blesses those who watch. It speaks of a gospel to those who are not yet his. It's profound. It's beautiful. And then look at what it testifies to in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice he's using circumcision now to show about transformation that hasn't happened. Your flesh is uncircumcised. Your spirit Spirits uncircumcised. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul gives the weighty, glorious reality that we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been delivered from our trespasses and sins and the curse of sin in Jesus Christ. And I love that he shows it's been done in two ways. Um, the forgiveness of our sins and the canceling of your debt. And I think both of those are super important as I end. 
Because I always want to make sure you understand what God is doing to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I also want to make sure you're not misunderstanding what God is doing to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. So um, here's what's happening. Paul's explaining this wildly unpopular notion that you and I are deserving right now of immediate death for our sin, for our wayward thoughts and our guilty conscience and sins of omission, commission, things that we think, things that are seen and unseen, guilty of treason, guilty of idolatry, guilt of habits, guilt of every way by which sin manifests itself. We are guilty of immediate death. That's what Paul's saying. Most people don't want to acknowledge that, but Paul says it, and because that debt stands against all humanity, and we are resulting in that, he's going to actually cancel that. He's gonna cancel that debt that's deserving of you and I. And it's not just habits, faults, and flaws. It is the treason we've committed against the king of the universe. It's that we've treaded his glory. It's that we desire to worship his created things over him as creator. He says, you're actually deserving of immediate death. Some of us go, well, that's not really a big deal. I've always said, you wanna see how big your sin is to God? Look at his two responses, the killing of Jesus and eternal hell. That's serious. I'm choosing Jesus. I mean, I've got two options before me, and that's, that's why sin is so serious. I'm going that route. Him standing in my place, him being my champion, him declaring me righteous. No works or petitions or merits. That, that's unbelievable grace. It's been canceled. Christ cancels it. So here's what it's not. It's not you paid off the debt. And I say that because for some reason, we love to believe that first reality and then we just slowly crawl back into paying it off, right? No, he did. It's not you paid off the debt. It's not, I used to do wrong things, now I don't anymore, so I guess I'm okay. It's not, well, I was really getting high, sleeping around, getting drunk, doing bad things, and now I met Jesus, I don't get high, sleep around, get drunk anymore, so I'm good. No, you didn't pay your mortgage off early. He paid it all in full. You showed up and it was zero. You just showed up. It was zero, right? So, so that's what he's doing in the cross. I, I, I want you to understand what he's doing. Like, like we somehow just fall back right into, well, okay, now I'll pay off the debt. No, Jesus paid the debt. He canceled that record of debt. And remember, you don't just need zero. You need infinite righteousness. So you're not just good at zero. The difference in the gospel is he then infuses his righteousness, infinite righteous perfections to you on your behalf that which Christ has, and that gives you salvation. That gives you right standing. That gives you the right to approach a holy God that you have no right approaching. And baptism shows that. That's what he's been talking about. And don't miss this last part. I didn't highlight it. I'm going back. The last part, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I love this. Here's the other thing baptism says. Jesus, you're my allegiance. That's what it says. Is he, is he your allegiance and you've never been baptized? Then he's not your allegiance, really. Because he said be baptized. Go proclaim that. Go show that. And I love this. So we realize outside of the gospel, whatever we're worshiping becomes our God. And Paul says the cross of Jesus Christ marks the decisive defeat of the demonic powers that desire you to submit to everything outside of him. He strips him naked publicly. It's amazing. 
He just humiliates them. And now they can't have your allegiance, they can only pester you. But our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. All of this is bound up in the picture of baptism. I love it. Christ exerts his ownership over us. He made us one with him, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities of darkness. What a glorious gift, and what a beautiful, visible gospel. Um, Friends, if you are in Christ and you've been baptized, just enjoy who you are right now in Jesus. Just forget about what you're going to do today. Forget about where you failed this morning or yesterday or this past week. Um, Just sit for a minute because we're going to take the Lord's Supper and be reminded of, be nourished that he broke his body, he shed his blood, he canceled our debt, he disarmed the rulers and principalities and authorities through what he did, not what we did, so we could be free. So we could live with an identity that's safe. And for those of you that love Jesus, have turned from sin and turned to Christ and have not been baptized, go register for the class and let's go. Let's be a visible proclamation and display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room and you do not see Jesus as good, saving, loving, kind, know that he desires to cancel your debt. You're not outside the saving grace of the cross. Maybe it's your pride that keeps you from coming to Christ. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ and really what's keeping you and preventing you is I just don't think I'm worthy of being forgiven. I don't feel like I'm worthy of being saved. That's as prideful as someone who says I've outsinned the cross of Christ. It's the same pride that says I don't need Jesus Christ to save me because I'm good. It's the same thing. It's pride just working itself out in two different ways. So let the humility that that comes to us in the gospel bring you to a place of warmth and safety and salvation and love and forgiveness this morning. Let's ask him for help in these ways. Jesus, thank you that you have canceled our debt. Thank you that we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you that God was a gift of grace. Thank you that nothing but Jesus saves. Thank you that ultimately your church, capital C Church, in the new heavens and new earth, your bridegroom will be with you in such a way by which all we have at the end of the day when all is stripped away is Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our hope. I pray you'd build the church on that foundational reality. We pray, Jesus, that even in a couple months we see people baptized, um, we pray that, that that would again nourish the church and be a great witness to those who are present that you are God, that you did come, and that our sins do die with you in your death, and that our new life is caused solely by your perfect life being resurrected, and that, God, you alone give hope, salvation, forgiveness, mercy, adoption, and freedom. God, thank you that we do not have to sin because you have put sin to death. Thank you that it does not have to enslave us any longer, that we can live as children of God. We pray that you make us holy, that you grow us in grace, through the power, presence, and enablement of your spirit, through remembering the gospel of grace and never drifting from that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just... I, I just...